have been going through, or just started going through the uh, book of Genesis. We're just at the very beginning of it, and um, that's where we are again this morning. We're going to be carrying on with that. So we're going to pray as we just get into God's Word. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which you've been speaking to us already today. And Lord, we just want to pray now as we just settle our hearts, as we, we want to receive from you. We want to, Lord, as we want to, as we unpack, Lord, these early, this first chapter of, of, uh, of your book, Lord, we pray that you would um, just speak to us, that we would just get a glimpse of your glory this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we, we were talking about how God formed this world. And Dave put it like this. He said that God's glory, remember, plus God's governance equals God's blessing or abundance. Yes, excellent. God's glory plus God's governance equals God's blessing. Today we're going to look at how God filled this world. In verses 3 to 13, God had created three special spaces, the land the seas, and the sky. So during days four, five, and six of creation, he fills up these spaces. So let's, if you turn your Bibles, if you open them, Genesis chapter 1, we are in verse 14, and it says this, And God said, Let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vaults of the skies to give light to the earth, and it was so. And let them be lights in the vaults, sorry, verse 16, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set them in the vaults of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. See, into the expanse of the sky, God places these heavenly bodies and he aligns them to do their work. So you've got the sun, the moon, the stars, and they are incredible, are they not? But they don't have any special powers, and they certainly don't have spiritual significance, even though people will later go on to worship them. Many times in the Old Testament, Israel had been repeatedly warned not to imitate their pagan neighbors by worshiping the sun or the moon. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19 says, And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the heavenly array... Do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. So it's very clear, we are to worship the one true God who created the heavenly hosts. However, time and again, Israel repeatedly disobeyed God's command. They suffered greatly as a result of this, as a result of their sin. And the truth is, people haven't changed that much today. They're still fascinated by the moon, the stars, by the movement of the planets. 
And really, it's only a very small step between admiration that can lead to worship. So even today, people will read and they'll make decisions based on the stars, based on their horoscopes. And, but I want to encourage you to look at this as an opportunity. You can so easily turn a conversation about the stars into a gospel opportunity. Do not be afraid to introduce people to the one who put those stars into space. Now it's very obvious that the moon, the stars, are essential in God's creation. They divide night and day. They mark times into days, into years, into seasons. They give light. You remember back to last week, we heard, of course, that light actually appeared on the first day. But now on day four, it is constant, consecrated, not consecrated, concentrated, get the right word, through the heavenly bodies. The result is that right from the very beginning, the human race is closely linked to the natural cycles of the moon and the stars. Even today, navigators still rely on the stars in order to find direction. But the heavenly bodies are not simply for human convenience. They proclaim the glory of God. Psalm 19 is pretty clear about this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. But more than that, we discover a God who delights in his creation. When the Bible teaches that creation expresses the glory of God, this glory is the Trinitarian glory of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see God who rejoices in his creation because creation itself is actually a very, the very expression of his glory. But God's glory is so much more than we could ever begin to fully comprehend you see, the God of creation exists in sublime glory. God is eternal. He has got no beginning. He has no end. Therefore, he is totally self-sufficient. He needs nothing more than himself in order to exist or to act. A.W. Tozer wrote in The Knowledge of the Holy that God has a voluntary relationship. Sorry, God has a voluntary relationship to everything he has made but he has no necessary relation to anything outside himself. In other words, God needs nothing. He does not need this universe. He doesn't need the human race. And yet, he created all of it. But because we live in a world that is just dominated by time, we can so easily focus on the transient things around us. In fact, we find it extremely difficult, if not impossible, to understand the concept of eternal. As Rob mentioned, I think two weeks ago, if you were to spend just a moment to try and even begin to comprehend that God has neither beginning nor end, I think the only thing you'll succeed in doing is making your head ache. See, as we contemplate the nature and the character of the triune God, the one who always was, who always is, who always will be, who, will, who never changes, will simply overwhelm you. Moses wrote in Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were born, 
or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is the one true Trinitarian God who reveals his incomparable power through creation. And sometimes we just need to take a moment just to stop. I, I do like my running. I, I love marathon running, as, as some of you will, will know as well. Out on Friday night, I was just running along the side of the river in Chester here. And you know, every so often it's just good to stop and have a look around. And just say, wow, Coretta, how beautiful God's creation is. Or look up at the stars-filled sky and just marvel at how incredible it all is. But actually, you're not going to be the first person to do that. Isaiah in the Old Testament, he wrote, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calls them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And Isaiah was stunned by the power of God who had created and who sustained every star in the sky. But just you can only begin to imagine what he would have said if he knew what we now know today. If you're able to go up to Isaiah and say, Hey, Isaiah, good to see you, by the way. Hey, Isaiah, those stars that you're looking at, that very near star is about 25 million, million miles away. And all that you see, all that you're looking at is just one small part of one galaxy. And that galaxy contains billions, hundreds of billions of stars. And that galaxy is just one of millions of galaxies. And even then, you would not have even begun to understand anything of the power of God. Ravi Zachariah describes how he attended a lecture by the astronomer David Block, where he is shown on an image on the screen sent by NASA, and that one picture, there are 100 billion stars. He said, if you were to count those stars at one per second, it would take you 2,500 years just to count them. Ravi said, as I sat there, as I watched, as I looked, as I listened, I said, I could not help but think of the verse that says, and he made the stars also. This universe just gives us a glimpse of the power of God. Listen, the God who made this universe is worthy of our praise, of our fearful, of our reverential awe. God is majestic. He is glorious. He is awesome. He is worthy of all our praise. In fact, it is almost unbelievable to think that the creator God who flung billions of stars into space, the vastness of which is almost unmeasurable. At the same time, he created microscopic organisms so tiny that they are impossible to see with the human eye. And he is our father in heaven. And we say, hallowed be his name. The complexity of this universe is incredible, but it's simply pointing to the power, to the wisdom, to the greatness of God. He is incomparable, unimaginable, and as we look at what he has made, God wants us to be stunned, to be in awe and wonder at his creation, but it must never stop there. 
We cannot just stop by simply appreciating what he has made. Listen, creation should lead us to ask the question, what must the creator be like? If by a word he could create such grandeur and such beauty, what must he be like? Creation gives us a hint of his glory. However, not even a billion, billion galaxies will satisfy the human soul. Only God can satisfy your soul. In the end, it's not galaxies or mountains or oceans or even the complexities of our solar system that will fill your heart and your mouth with eternal praise. It is God himself. He is the one who causes our hearts to sing with praise. To him be the glory. And God said, verse 20, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and they moved about in it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Now the seas and the skies, of course, are made to be filled. And so now God fills them with abundantly with living creatures. He makes birds to fly in the sky aquatic creatures to swim in the sea. But you'll notice that on day five, God not only declares that his work is good, but he also blesses the creatures that he has made, verse 22. This is the first time that word blessing is actually used within the Bible. And God's blessing enabled them to reproduce abundantly, to enjoy all that he has made. He tells his creatures that he is made to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill their God-given realm. And we see again how God delights in his creation. Yes, as we've already said, because yeah, they are a reflection of his glory. But secondly, God rejoices and delights in his creation because they are made to praise him. Read in Psalm 148 that the writer calls on creation to praise the Lord. It says, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the sea. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For at his command, they were created. Verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth, you great creatures and all ocean depths. Isn't this amazing to think that hidden away in the bottom of the ocean are beautiful gems, are some incredible creatures that no human eye has ever seen? You know, in just the last 10 years, it's thought that about 120,000 new marine species have been named, and they're still going on. There are more and more being found every single day. How many more are there down there? Well, who knows? God knows. When you go to the middle of a desert, Far away from anywhere, you'll find flowers that bloom with vivid color or give off 
these amazing fragrances that nobody sees or smells or touches but God. The truth is that most of creation is beyond our understanding, beyond our awareness, even beyond our touch. So it certainly wasn't created just for us. It was created for the enjoyment of God. And these creatures that God has made, they praise God by simply being what they were created to be. Let me give you an example. There's a little tiny water spider that lives in the bottom of a lake, but it breathes only air. And it survives by collecting bubbles of air from the surface of the water. It holds them over its breathing hole in the middle of its body. It then swims down to the bottom of the lake, spins a silk web among the seaweeds, then goes back up again. It brings down more and more bubbles until it forms a little balloon of air where it lives and eats and mates. And this is just one example of millions of other wonders that are beyond our sight, but which God looks at with gladness and pleasure every single day. And listen, every single day on scene, they are declaring their praises to God. And God said, verse 24, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kind. The livestock, the creatures that made, that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And God has now formed the sky and filled it with flying creatures. He's formed the sea and filled it with all kinds of aquatic creatures. Now on day six, God cre- reaches, sorry, creation reaches its climax when God fills the land with animal life and then creates man. See, the stage is now set for the appearance of the human race. And the Bible account of creation comes to its climax with man. That is for next week. We're going to get into that more detail next time round. But once again, in day six, we see something of the diversity and the wonder of God's creation. And more importantly, thirdly, we see that it reveals the incomparable wisdom of God. Psalm 104, verse 24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. This earth is full of your creatures. And this universe is simply a masterpiece of wisdom and order. And we can just look at the very smallest part of an animal. Take, for example, a bullseye. It's been why I've mentioned that. For my final dissertation at university, I did a study on the endothelium cells of a bullseye. So every Wednesday morning, I would, every Wednesday morning, a fresh batch of, of um, bullseyes would arrive from the local abattoir, and I would, would collect them from the, the top floor of where I worked, or where I was studying. I'd walk down four flights of stairs with two bullseyes, one in each hand. I used to carry them something like this. 
I just longed for the day that somebody was going to stop me and ask me what was in your hand. But sadly, nobody ever did. Unfortunately, that was probably the most memorable thing about my dissertation. You see, the, the endothelium is a single layer of cells on the inner surface of the cornea. It controls the hydration and basically keeps the cornea transparent. And I can honestly say, after writing 5,000 words on the subject of this single layer of cells, I still don't really understand how they work. Such is the complexity of the endothelium, and that is just one microscopic part of the eye. Listen, you don't need to look too far, pun intended, to see that this world is full of God's wisdom, and that the God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint, he doesn't grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. When God speaks, something happens. Psalm 33, verse 9, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And our response to such power should be to bow down in reverent worship. For his creative acts reveal a God of wisdom, whose words carry absolute authority. 32 times in this chapter, this creative Trinitarian God is called Elohim, a Hebrew word that just emphasizes his majesty and his power. Elohim reveals his power by creating everything, by speaking a word. He alone created all things, and he is still in control of all of his creation. And throughout this passage, you should have noticed by now that God takes a real pleasure in his creation. In these verses, not only do we see that God ordered creation, but also we see God's response to creation. Five times we read in chapter 1, and God saw that it was good. God was delighted with his work. He looked at it and it gave him pleasure. He was pleased. He was happy with his creative efforts. So as we just draw this to a close, I want to just ask the question, what are the practical implications of this for us today? Two thoughts. Firstly, we must be good stewards over creation. This certainly involves us respecting, of course, one another, but also it means appreciating the gifts that we have in creation. It's not wasting or exploiting them. Listen, we can't honor the God of creation if we dishonor what he has made. And we must accept creation as a gift, guard it as a treasure, and invest in it for the glory of God. Isaac Watt wrote a hymn that says this, I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky. 
Psalm 145, Lord, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Listen, God has entrusted us the wonder of his creation. We need to look after them. We need to treasure them. We need to care for what God has given us to look after. But the second thought is this. We must worship and honor the God of creation. See, he alone deserves your praise. His his glory, his majesty is all around us. But above all, we need to know the creator God. And this is completely possible through Jesus. The word that became flesh and lived among us. Remember, the Christian faith is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And being Christian is not about agreeing to some set of doctrines. It's about submitting to Jesus. It's trusting in him, recognizing, yes, that we are sinners, but accepting that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin through his death on the cross. But all of creation is pointing to a God of glory, a God of power who loved you enough to come near. He left the glory of heaven to come down into our world. And there he suffered and died on a cross so that by faith you might know him. Listen, the right response to such an awesome creator God is to, is to submit, is to give your whole life over to him. He is truly worthy of all honor, worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory. Let's just stand. Let's just, guys, come, you want to come just play one last song as we bring things to a close, just as we worship God. Let's just, I'm just going to pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is in control of everything. But Lord, we want to just simply just stop for a moment and just say thank you for the beauty of creation. Father, help us to open our eyes on a regular basis, Lord, just to see your glory revealed through what you have made. Lord, help us to understand, Lord, that you are a God who is an absolute authority. Lord, when you speak, Lord, something happens. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you're glorious in every single way. Thank you, Lord, that you're worthy of pl- worthy of all praise and all honor. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God of absolute wisdom. And Lord, we worship you. We glorify your precious name.